Welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. It is raining purple in the Wall of Power Radio Hour land. This week is the 30th anniversary of the movie Purple Rain, featuring one of Minnesota's greatest and most prolific musicians and entertainers, Prince Rogers Nelson. We're going to look back at his start in Minneapolis and chat with his first musical mentor, Pepe Willie, the co-writer of his first hit, studio owner Chris Moon, and finally, a conversation with the original keyboardist in Prince's band, The Revolution, Mr. Matt Fink, including a live studio performance of the two of us doing one of Prince's greatest songs. We're very honored today to have uh, a man who was there at the very beginning of Prince's musical awakening, Mr. Pepe Willie, how are you today, Pepe? Yo, I'm doing fine, Paul. How you doing? You you know, you look good. I, f- I, feel, <laughs> I feel good. I feel good. It's so nice of you to take time to come and talk to us. Let's get right into it, man. When did you run into Prince? Oh, man. I ran into Prince oh, a while. Well, the first time I met him, he was 13. Wow. Okay, because I was married to his cousin. Okay. And I came here to Minneapolis right after I got out of uh, the Army. And I came here, and I didn't pay no attention to him. He's wrestling on the floor with one of his other cousins and stuff like that. (laughs) Right. So eventually I went back to New York, and um, uh, Prince called me up uh, when he was 15 and wanted to know about publishing. Right. And I talked to him over the phone. I said, yo, man, I said, look, I can't really talk to you on the phone about publishing, but I'll come to Minneapolis. I'll be there soon, and we can sit down, and I can tell you the whole story. So that would be about 1973? Yeah, I got out of the service in 1970. Okay. So that was the first time that I met him in 1970. So a few years later, 72 or 73, something like that. Yeah, right, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, that's all right. (laughs) Who's keeping track? Um, So... You came back to Minneapolis and and you started to chat about publishing and where did it go from there? Well, uh, we talked about publishing. Before that, what happened was um, my wife's father, my father-in-law, Eddie Mandeville, was given a ski party at Paul's place. You know, I don't know if you remember that. No, I don't. Where was that? Yeah, it was right off... uh, is it 169? Okay. Right off of Highway 169. And uh, I can't remember what building it is now. But he had a band playing there. It was a ski party. And the band was Grand Central. Okay. And then this is the first time that I heard the band Grand Central. And that was Prince's band. Prince's band. Was, was Jelly Bean in that band? No, Johnson? no, no. Uh, when the time that I came along, uh, Morris Day was the drummer. Okay. Andre Simone was the bass player. Okay. Prince played guitar. Linda Anderson played keyboards, which is Andre's sister. Okay. And William Dowdy, who we call Hollywood, was playing percussion. Right? So they was playing a bunch of, like, Earth, Wind, and Fire tunes, you know, cover stuff like right. that. And Morris's mother, LaVon, was their manager. Hmm. 
right? So after I heard the band do a couple of sets and stuff, and they had heard about it that I was coming into town. They said, oh, some big-time producers coming into town and stuff. Right. And I didn't know that they had said all of this, right. you know. And I Mr. Had, Willie's coming. Yeah, you know, I had produced a couple things, but not to the extent that I'm some big-time producer, right. you know. So, but I did know a lot about the music business. I knew the music business like the back of my hand, you know, because I grew up with uh, my uncle, who's founding member of Little Anthony and the Imperials, who are now into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, inducted in 2009. Sure. So, now, what uh, what was your uncle's name? Uh, Clarence Collins. Wow, I've yeah, heard his name. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they taught me everything. I learned so much from those guys. But Can you sing a little bit? Right now, well, I think I'm going out of oh, yeah. my head. <laughs> yes, I think I'm going out of my head. Oh, yeah. yeah. We that song. <laughs> oh, man, it was that great. That sound great. Yeah. And uh, so I went up to LaVon, uh, who was uh, the manager of Grand Central, and I asked her, I says, uh, you know, I would like, love to work with this group. Do you think it's possible? And she says, yeah, yeah, sure. It was great, you know. <laughs> so automatically we started setting up rehearsals at her house up in the attic. Great. You know, they had everything up there. They had a blackboard up there with chalk. You know, you can write things on yeah. the board and everything. So I asked these guys. I says, all right. I says, uh, Morris, <laughs> Morris Day had a seven-piece drum set. Hmm. <laughs> But they only played three drums. <laughs> I said, yo, man, no, you got to play all of that. I said, you got to turn that sucker around, man. Come on, you know. So um, That's what they're there for. Yeah, you know, I mean, they're there to hit them, you know. So uh, they play, I asked them to play some of the original tunes. They played some uh, cover stuff. And I said, okay, play one of the originals. So um, Prince had a track called Sex Machine. Okay. And Andre had a song called Remind Me of Me. And uh, so I said, all right, go ahead and play it. You know, So those guys started playing Andre's song, You Remind Me of Me. So, And they're playing. They got it going on. They started right. singing a little bit. And I go like, then they started jamming. <laughs> you know? Right. And they just jammed for like five minutes, man. <laughs> I said, yo, man, whoa, hold up. Wait a minute. <laughs> I said, wait, I said, first of all, you guys got to have basic construction, writing construction. You have to have an intro. You have to have a first verse. Then you have your hook. I said, the hook is what everybody's going to remember. Right. They're not going to remember the words right now because you, they don't have the record. But if they went up, you know, to their friends, if the song was playing on the radio, and they says, hey, man, did you hear that song? It was, you remind me of me, you know, because right. that's the hook. That's the only thing they remember. Well, it's I, like, you know, like they say in Nashville, don't bore us, get to the chorus. Right. <laughs> 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 I love it. <laughs> I'm going to use that. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, but in any of it, uh, uh, so I taught them basic music construction mm -hmm. and uh, and I told him I says if you use this um, construction your songs are going to turn out to be either like three minutes 330 or something like that right if you add a bridge or whatever sure. you know things like that so <laughs> another thing is I found out when they was doing this song you remind me of me remind me of me uh, everybody was singing something different they didn't know the words. The only one knew the words was Andre because he wrote it. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, wait a minute. Okay, look, you guys put down your instruments, okay? I said, Prince, 
grab your guitar. Prince grabbed the guitar. I said, just start, you know, playing a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So he played a little bit. And I said, okay, that's cool. And I, he was a great guitar player. Right. I says, cool. I says, well, Andre, write the lyrics of the song on the blackboard. Right. Right? And he wrote it up there. So as he's writing, <laughs> the band members are going like, oh, that's what you were saying? <laughs> I, I didn't know what that was saying. <laughs> I thought you were saying something else. Right. You know what I'm saying? So now everybody's on point. Everybody's, you know, on the same page. Uh, they know what the words are. We have the construction down, and we start working that way, you know. And that's how it all happened. And then we, uh, uh, I also, not only the instrumentation, but I talked to them about the business of music. Right. You know, and that was very important. I, I, sh I told them about recording sessions and how you get paid making money doing recordings in studios. Right. You know, uh, writer's royalties, publisher's right. royalties, production, what a producer does, <clears throat> a manager, what a manager does. When do you need a manager? When do you don't need a manager? Right. I mean, the whole business aspect, I told them all about this. A little later in the conversation, Pepe was talking about the time his band 94E was in the studio at Sound 80, and a young prince played guitar and sang background vocals on several of the tracks. This is a great story about a song Pepe and Prince wrote together after the story, we're going to hear this original song, one of the first Prince ever recorded. Actually, what happened, I wrote the music, and uh, Prince came in, and I played it for him. And he goes like, oh, wow. He said, that's great, man. He says, uh, I think I'm going to have some lyrics for that, you know. And he took it, you know, right. and then he brought it back next day. And that was it. That was the song. Right. You take me out dancing. You fly me all around the world. You whisper sweet words in my ear. What makes you think I'm that kind of girl? You know what I'm oh, saying? Oh, I love just it. Just another, just another sucker. Wow. <laughs> so that's how that merged. And, oh, uh, so it was man, great. I love yeah. that poetry. set, we will introduce you to Chris Moon, the studio owner who encouraged Prince Rogers Nelson to shorten his name to Prince. We have a very special guest on the Wall of Power Radio Hour, a fellow who's been nice enough to give us some time this afternoon. From the sunny climes in Florida, Mr. Chris Moon, who used to run a place called Moon Sound on 28th and DuPont in Minneapolis. Chris, thanks for uh, taking some time with us today. It's my pleasure indeed, and I'm delighted to uh, spend some time with you today. So, 
when people study uh, the history of what's called what we know now as the Minneapolis Sound, a lot of musicians that we associate with that sound recorded at your studio at some point, correct? Well, I don't know who you'd be referring to. Well, uh, and, which one? Andre Simone. Oh, yeah, Andre, yeah, Andre, and Des was there, Des, and right. uh, I produced Jimmy, Jimmy Jam and Terry, Terry Lewis, and, uh, you <laughs> those know. Are, those are the guys right, I'm, yeah, those are the guys I'm t thinking about. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the, the, uh, the Minneapolis Black Sound was really, really promoted and got off the ground by a bunch of white guys <laughs> with uh, various uh, recording studio skills. And and it was it was really an interesting time. I, I I remember when I was starting to do, you know, black music, and maybe that's not a, a copacetic thing to say, but that's what it was. We I was recording a lot of black bands, but I was getting death threats. I mean, it was uh, wow. it was a pretty volatile time back then. Hmm. Well, and 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 people were not not really comfortable with the the ethnic mix of the cities. I don't think at that point in time and. And as the music became more popular, and 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 as as it became more identified with Minneapolis, I, I think Minneapolis in the process became more of a you know comfortably uh, mixed race city. Well, it's such a beautiful circle we have here, because uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis recorded at your place, and now we record the Wall of Power Radio Hour at the old Flight Time Studios, which uh, Jimmy and Terry <laughs> built. Uh, which is now the Minneapolis Media Institute. So I love that circle. Tell us a little bit about the first time you heard Prince. Well, it was fairly unremarkable. In fact, I could I, I would endeavor to say it was completely forgettable. I don't remember the first time I, I, I heard Prince because I was uh, producing and recording a band named Champagne okay. that had come into the studio. And, it was a bunch of very young kids, I say very young, 15, 16-year-old, you know, young artists who was being managed by one of the mothers of one of them. And she had come and booked the time. And so these young guys came into the studio and uh, and we were putting together, I don't know, maybe six or seven songs for them over the course of a couple of weeks. And so the first time Prince walked in, he was just another member of another band that was being recorded and uh, um, uh, was, in that respect, unremarkable because at the time he was even quieter and even more shy and, and almost invisible. Uh, he passed quietly through the halls without notice. Um, but the, uh, those sessions, uh, were really, a, a, a curious timing because as that band came in and was recording, I was still working at the ad agency and, and I had always written songs and poems, probably going back to when I was 10, 11, 12. And I was having these thoughts that, you know, here I am spending all my time producing these other recording artists and musicians, most of which I'm doing for free. You know, maybe I should get some uh, expression out myself and start doing some of my own songs. And so the arrival of Prince and Champagne in the studio coincided with this thought that, 
you know, I needed to start expressing myself more musically. And so I started thinking about finding a band to collaborate with. Hmm. And, and it wasn't that I was thinking about Champagne as a band because they probably wouldn't have been my target demographic for a group. I probably would have looked for someone older and more experienced. But what, 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 the, the, the gelling thought, the, the key idea that, that occurred to me when I was sitting there recording this band, and I remember it was in the middle of a song, and they were playing that, and I had this thought that, you know, the problem with trying to do my own music is working with a band means I got to get four or five guys to all show up at the same time. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah, and I spent enough time in the recording studio to realize that, you know, that's near impossible. Mm-hmm. You know, either either the the uh, the drummer's hungover or the guitarist is up with his girlfriend or the bass player is a uh, car broken down. I mean, there were so many <laughs> constant variables. I thought, there's no way this is ever going to work. So I was scratching my head pondering this problem, and then the band went on break. And everybody went off, and Fritz uh, stayed behind. Everyone else had gone across to the 31 Flavors to get their ice creams. Prince stayed behind, and he was running around. He played a bit on the drums. Then he went and played a bit on the piano. Then he ran over and played a bit on the guitar. And then I said, here's the answer. Right. I don't I don't try and work with a band. I find one guy who can play all, all the instruments. Then all I got to do is get one guy to show up. And that was the guy. And that was, well, you know, right guy, right time, right place. Do you remember the first uh, song you two wrote together? Bizarre as it sounds in retrospect, I mean, I reached into my pocket and handed in the keys to my everything I owned in life. Hmm. Uh, because everything I had was in this studio. And I said, here's the keys to my studio. You know, come and let yourself in after school. And I'll leave some songs on the piano for you. The first song, curiously enough, I had I had had a while, you know, I was, I had a recording studio and a fashion photography business going in the studio, so let's just say I was socially active, and, um, That's and a dip- I had a particular... Diplomatic huh? way of putting that, Chris, I like that. <laughs> so I had a particularly engaging evening. And there was there was more than one girl involved, and I, I had to get up early in the morning and go off to work the next day. And I'm I'm at, I'm at the I'm at the ad agency recovering from a little excess of inebriation, and um, and so I start writing this song about the evening that I had had, and and that ended up uh, being the first that ended up being the first song that we did together. Uh, and, and curiously enough, ended up being Prince's first hit on his first album. And that was Soft and, and that Wet. Was, you know, that was Soft and Wet, yeah. Huh. And, and the funny thing with that song is when it finally came out, uh, my mother heard it. And she was a very, very proper English woman. In fact, I'd never heard my mother swear. I mean, she was that proper. <laughs> Until she heard the tune. Well, no, no, no. So she hears this song on the radio and... She said, well, I, I I like the song, but what 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 is it about? What's soft and wet? <laughs> and I remember at that moment, the world became just, you know, this terribly small place. 
And I looked over at my father, who was standing there next to me. He looked back and he says, you're on your own, son. <laughs> and and, and, and perspiration appears on my forehead and I'm sweating bullets. And I'm thinking, what am I going to tell my mother? And then in the moment of inspiration, you know, it all came to me. And I looked her square in the eyes and said, mother, it's about a kiss. <laughs> so there you go. That's what I always thought. We'll be back in the third set with Prince's keyboard player, Matt Fink. We have a very special guest with our It's Raining Purple episode on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. A man who I had the pleasure to get to know just a few years ago, although I've been listening to his music via Prince for over 30 years. Mr. Matt Fink, thanks for joining us this afternoon. You're welcome. It's my pleasure to be here. You are a Minneapolis native, aren't you? Yes, I am. I grew up in St. Louis Park, actually, which is the earliest, uh, one of the early inner ring suburbs of the Twin Cities on the western side of Minneapolis. And when did you start playing music? Uh, my parents uh, got me started taking piano lessons at the age of about six. 30 years ago? Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, uh, yeah, yeah, they're fifty. No, forty. Uh, I'm sorry. Pro well, fifty. We're the same age. So about you've been doing it as long as I have. About fifty years. Yes, yes. Which definitely. is about a, that's about as long as it takes to get to know what you're doing. Right. That's very true. Yeah, I'm still learning every day. Well, let's get right into it. How did you hook up with Prince? Prince was introduced to me by Bobby Rivkin, who is a.k.a. Bobby Z, the drummer with Prince from the, the Revolution and the first drummer in the band, uh, which was formed in 1978. Uh, Bobby actually also went to St. Louis Park High School with me. Uh, he was two grades ahead of me, but we knew each other. We were playing in different bands at the time, and uh, even his mother and my mother knew each other. Actually, our parents knew each other, and they used to do uh, fundraising events together for the Mount Sinai Hospital back in uh, the 1960s. Oh, nice. Yeah, and uh, so our families knew each other, and uh, Bobby came to me one day, I believe it was 1977, I was playing with a cover band at the time uh, called Zachariah. <laughs> and uh, what, I got what kind of music were you guys playing? I we got. were playing pop rock. We were playing all the top forty hits on the radio, like uh, you know Boston, and uh, we we were we were doing um, you name it. Okay, <laughs> sticks. You know, sure. Whatever whatever was happening at at the time, Elton John. You know, whatever. Uh, and uh, anyway, uh, so Bobby comes to this uh, sh gig we were doing at the Hopkins Bowl. And uh, says, hey, Matt, I, I need you to hear this demo tape of this artist that I've, I've gotten to know. And he takes me out to his car during a break and he plays me Prince's first demo that was done. Maybe this was the second one because we were just talking about Moon Sound when he worked with Chris Moon. But this was when his uh, Bobby's brother, David Rivkin, produced a demo that was used to shop him to the record labels out in Los Angeles. Like also the, also known as David Z. David Z, yeah, David Rifkin, David Z. So 
This was recorded at Sound 80 at the time, which was one of the other uh, state-of-the-art rooms in Minneapolis. And Bobby plays this uh, demo of Prince, and of course, uh, it was absolutely amazing. And I said, wow, who's the band? And he said, it's not a band. I go, what do you mean it's not a band? He goes, it's just a guy doing everything. Wow. It's an artist playing all the instruments and singing and writing and the whole thing. I go, you're kidding. I go, I go how old is he? He goes, he's your age. <laughs> and I, at, the t- at that time, I was uh, 19. Wow. So Prince was obviously 19 or 18-ish at the time. I'm a little bit older than Prince by a few months. A real, a real one-man band. A real one-man band. And, and so I was so highly impressed with that, uh, of course, that I immediately said, well, if he decides to form a group to play that material, please put my name into the ring on that one. T- teacher, teacher, call, call on me. Exactly. Teacher, <laughs> teacher, call me. <laughs> Perfect. So uh, I threw my hat in the ring at that time. And then, you know, later on down the road, once Prince did get his uh, record deal with Warner Brothers, uh, I had a shot at auditioning for him. But I was not the first choice for keyboard player. Ricky Peterson had that role. And uh, they went with him sight unseen due to his uh, f- fabulous talent and reputation. Uh, and when he opted out to work with some other people out in Los Angeles, uh, producing and working with another artist for a little while, in the midst of working with Prince in that, those early days, Prince decided to uh, put his feelers out for other keyboard players. And then I was able to audition at that point and uh, get into the group. Where was the audition? The audition was held at Peppy Willie's basement. And, and, we're, and we're going to be speaking with Peppy in, yes. the, in the next set. Yes, and, and, and Peppy was another one of Prince's mentors, like Chris Moon, uh, amongst others. And in that first year of the formation of the band, when he had his initial... Uh, album out, the first album out, uh, For You, which had the single Soft and Wet, which was penned by Prince and Chris Moon, uh, Pepe was volunteering the use of his home for the band. Now, initially, they did have another rehearsal space, but uh, apparently they left that and went to, uh, by the time I was in the band, they were working at Pepe's house. So that's where I auditioned, and that was uh, about mid-October of 1978. Wow. Yeah. Month after I moved to Minneapolis. Yeah. I remember hearing about him at that time. Just rumors about this uh, supremely talented young cat that uh, played everything and sang. So, do you remember what tunes you played in the rehearsal? Were you just doing covers just so he could get a feel of your uh, playing ability? No, actually, uh, he requested that I learn... Uh, three songs, two or three, from the album, from the For You album. Uh, Soft and Wet, I believe, uh, Why You Want to Treat Me So Bad? Or was that off the second album? I can't remember now. Uh, uh, Just As Long As We're Together, that was another track off of there. And it's been a while, so I'm not sure the third one. But anyway... Uh, when I did get to the re- rehearsal and I m- met him, he asked me if I had learned the song So Blue off the album. And I said, no, I hadn't learned that one. And I was a little concerned that it, maybe I, I was supposed to know that. And I apologized for not learning it. And then he said, well, don't worry about it because there's no keyboards on it anyway. And then he burst out laughing. 
as if he he just sort of wanted to play a little mind game on mind you. game joke on me. <laughs> And so I went, okay, no problem. So then we, we got to uh, working on the other songs. First, we jammed for a while. We just He just wanted to jam and see how I would improvise or come up with grooves or whatever. Was he playing do. guitar during the uh, yes, he session? Was, yes, he was playing guitar at that point. And, uh, and then when it came time to uh, play Soft and Wet... I revealed to him that, well, I kind of learned the keyboard parts, but they're hard to hear because they're buried in the in the mix quite a bit, and I couldn't quite pick out the exact part. Do you think you could show it to me? And he said, well, okay. So he started playing the, uh, what was called the clavinet part, and uh, which is a keyboard, a certain kind of keyboard made famous by Stevie Wonder. It's called the Honer Clavinet. When you listen to the song Superstition, it's right. the signature keyboard sound on that record. So he, he actually showed me the part, and I was able to pick up on it pretty quickly and learn it directly from him just by watching him play it. And he was very impressed with that because he said that all the other keyboardists who had auditioned up to that point also struggled with that part because it was uh, blended into the mix a specific way, and you could only pick out... Pick, it was hard to pick out 100%. Uh, and and so I I played it exactly how he showed it to me, and he I think he was impressed with that, and and then that may have helped his decision to hire me. Well, he loved your intuition and yeah. your great ear. Exactly. When did you start writing songs with Prince? It was the third album, the Dirty Mind album. First, he had For You, did that all himself, and he did the second album, which had the uh, I Want to Be Your Lover was the single. That was the second album, just called Prince. And then the Dirty Mind album is when he uh, took a musical groove that I came up with and created the song Dirty Mind around that, lyrics and melody. So would it just be you two sitting down, like with keyboards or guitars? Just well, to you? Yeah, in a way. The, the, the issue with Dirty Mind is that one was germinated. The idea was germinated during a jam session with the band, actually. We were just playing around, and I happened upon this keyboard riff that he really liked. And then he invited me out to his house studio, home studio, that evening. And he had me record that with him. And then by the following day, at rehearsal, he had shown up with, back with the song with lyrics and melody and guitars added onto onto everything we had done with drums right. and keyboards the night before. All in the nice work for All Prince. All in the nice work for Prince, exactly. I left about midnight, and then he finished it throughout wow, the night. He's, he's a night owl, isn't he? He is. He was a night owl. Still, He probably still is to this day. You know, he, Like a lot of artists are, a lot of musicians are like that.
You're listening to Dirty Mind by Prince, co-written by my guest, Dr. Matt Fink. We'll have more conversation with Dr. Fink and the four set and also a live performance. So did you travel the whole world with Prince while you played with the Revolution over the years? That's correct, yes. I spent 12 years with Prince. It must have been an amazing thing when you were there from the beginning just to watch the whole phenomenon grow. You did open for the Rolling Stones. We did open for the Rolling Stones in... Could have been late 1980, early 81. I can't remember the exact date. I'd have to look that up. But uh, Mick Jagger was... uh, highly impressed with Prince. Oh, I bet. And wanted to introduce him more to the world through their fan base. So they wanted to to help break Prince, obviously, and they invited us out to do three or four or five shows. Uh, they were stadium, indoor stadium, dome wow. stadium shows, except for the first ones, uh, which were at the L.A. Coliseum in front of 90,000 people. Wow, what did that feel like? Unbel- amazing it was that was uh crazy to be excuse me to be in front of that many people uh very nerve-wracking it, it was uh quite an experience to be backstage with all the paparazzi and all the other artists that were there performing you had uh jay giles band on the bill you had george thoroughgood and the destroyers uh our us and the Stones. Wow. And we were the very first group to go on, of course, and we, our set was only, you know, maybe half hour, 35 minutes long. So we take the stage, and I'd say about the first 50 rows of people, half of them gave us the, the finger. <laughs> <laughs> that was... No, that that was Thoroughgood's fans. Whoever they were, it was Thoroughgood, uh, Stones, whatever, you know, it was the hardcore uh, Hells Angels people that the Stones would attract. And because, you know, of course, they used to be their bodyguards back in the day. Right. And, uh, well, anyway, uh, I, I thought, well, what happened to the 60s crowd, the peace and love crowd? Why, why are they being so mean to us? <laughs> And so they, they were kind of offended by Prince's image, I think, because in those days he, he was wearing a trench coat, bikini briefs, thigh-high stockings and high heel boots, <laughs> and a bandana with no shirt. So something, so, apparently that offended even the 60s crowd. <laughs> I don't know why. Still a great look, though. Still now a when great you, look. When you look back on it now, yeah. It's, it, would, it would never work for me, but, no, you know. No, no. I so, wouldn't put on. Yeah, so what... Uh, Point and not long after that, there was a lot of food thrown at us. By the way, too, I just want you to know. We, we anyway, we'll get back into that later. Go ahead. Let's. So, not long after that, all of a sudden, the movie Purple Rain is starting to come together. That's correct. Well, you had two albums from that was the Dirty Mind album, the Rolling Stones episode, right? And then you had Controversy following that, 1999, and it was really. Uh, during the 1999 tour that Prince was uh, coming up with the idea to do the Purple Rain movie. Did he talk to you about that at all? Not until the end of the tour, the 1999 tour, he sat down with me and discussed it at that point, yeah.
version of Purple Rain. Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This show was produced by Paul Metza, recorded at the Minneapolis Media Institute, and engineered by Brad Knaber. We'd like to thank our guests and sponsors. Like us on Facebook at Wall of Power Radio. Follow us online at wallofpowerradio.com. This is your host, Paul Metza, reminding you to be kind and make someone happy.